Welcome to Tits Up. When things go tits up, they're broken. Tits up can also mean brave up and get on with it. This is what we do as mothers. When things are broken, we pull up our big girl pants and we wade through the muck. This episode of Tits Up is sponsored by Bebox Body. Beautiful new natural skincare for babies and growing families. Hello and welcome to Tits Up. On this call, we discuss how to help your baby transition to family foods without stress, fuss or food fights. And I'm really excited about our guest today, Dr. Jill Ratley. Jill's the pioneer of baby-led weaning, a practice of allowing your baby to self-feed as you introduce family foods. Jill first started talking about baby-led weaning in 2001, and in November 2015, she completed a PhD, which revolved around some interesting research comparing spoon feeding with self-feeding. And the findings, which show just how different these two experiences are for the baby, have been published in various academic journals. Jill's also the author of a number of books, including Baby-Led Weaning, Helping Your Baby to Love Good Food, the Baby-Led Weaning Cookbook, Baby-Led Breastfeeding and Baby-Led Parenting. And all of her books are linked in our show notes. So please pop and check them out. So welcome, Jill. Hi, thank you for having me, Pinky. Oh, it's such a pleasure. Um, firstly, for those people who don't know, and I don't think there's many people who don't know about Baby-Led Weaning, what is it and how did you become so passionate about it? Well, let's start with what is it. Um, as you've said, it's an approach to the introduction of solid foods that really uh, puts the ball in the baby's court. It allows the baby to make the decisions. Um, it's I kind of views the introduction of solid foods as like any other milestone in the baby's life. You know, we don't ask ourselves, when is my baby ready for walking? How do I tell? You just tell because he does it. <laughs> They just do it. <laughs> but we don't give babies the opportunity to do that with food because we don't just put it in front of them. But if we do, actually, they do it themselves. And the, the beauty of it is that at six months, they're able to do that. Um, all of the stuff that we have around introducing solids and curing and spoon feeding kind of relates to a younger baby. And when the switch was made to six months as the earliest starting age, we didn't make that shift and look again at what a baby of that age can do. Um, and okay, so I'm jumping ahead a little bit. Let me just, just double back slightly. So baby led weaning has various aspects to it. It's, it's about the baby making the decision to take that very first mouthful because he has the opportunity to do it when he's ready. It's about sharing mealtimes with the family. The food is presented, safe food, uh, following all the rules that you would if you were pureeing your own food for your baby at home in terms of salt and sugar and honey and that sort of stuff. But it's presented in ways that he can pick it up easily. We can talk a little bit more about what actually that means um, a bit later on. Um, and it, it's eating with the family, the same food that the family are eating in a relaxed atmosphere um, and allowing the baby to decide how much he wants to eat, how quickly he wants to eat it, when he wants to stop eating. And so it's just really inviting him to be at the table on the same basis and with the same status as everybody else in the family. Um, I guess I first kind of started thinking about it. it. It wasn't as a way of introducing solids. I was for many years a health visitor, which is not a profession that exists in a lot of countries, but it's a bit like a public health nurse. 
Um, oh yeah, our and, child health nurses that we yeah. have here. We have maternal and, and so child I, health nurses, which would be the same. Right. Thing. Okay. Yeah. So I was visiting families at home and in seeing them in clinic and talking a lot about um, diet as well as things like immunization and general development. And what I saw was a, a, a lot of times things started off okay, four months, started introducing the, the purees, and, and it kind of went okay for a while. For most people, some it didn't. But you, they often ran into problems around about seven, eight months when the baby would maybe suddenly start refusing the spoon or getting constipated or uh, being very choosy about what he would or wouldn't eat. And um, I remember a mom commented to me, uh, you know, if I'm eating an apple, he really he's really excited and interested and he, and he wants to have a go. But if I give him apple puree, it just pushes it away. So I kind of found myself saying, well, give him the apple then, you know, let, let him show you what he can do if that's what he's telling you he wants. And so I started suggesting it as a remedy for the, the sort of problems that parents were experiencing. But it wasn't until the early 2000s when the advice changed and we were saying, OK, so actually six months is the earliest we need to be doing this. And at that point, it, it all fitted together beautifully because babies of that age can do it. Um, so uh, it, there's, there's no real need for the whole purees and spoon feeding thing if you've waited till six months. Mm. I remember one of my daughters who's now a mum and her kids got some delicious photos of him you know, putting his hands in and getting that food all over him. Um, but she, before she had kids, some of her friends had kids before her, and she said to me, what's this baby-led weaning thing? And I said, that's what I did, but there wasn't a name for it. You just plonk a piece of pumpkin on the high chair tray when we're having dinner and you ate it. She says, somebody didn't feed me. And I said, go and look at your baby photos. You're a little roly-poly. Somebody <laughs> must have fed you. <laughs> yes. Then when she had her own baby, of course, she just naturally you know, handed him something off the plate. But it is funny because I started off pureeing food for my first child. He's in his 40s now, late 40s, and went to my grandparents' place. We went to New Zealand because I'm in here in Melbourne, Australia, and my family are in New Zealand. Went to my um, grandparents' place. And my grandfather just handed my eight-month-old a um, drumstick and he got into that chicken mm. and ate it all up. And I went, Ah, oh, I don't have to do this rubbish anymore. My kid can eat food. Yeah. It was yeah. such a absolutely strange thing not to, you know, because that's what you've been told. And and the advice, like you say, was around four to six months then, but it was sort of more around the four month thing. And he wasn't overly interested until he was closer to six months. But yeah, you, you have this in your head that we're going to make puree for babies, and we don't need to. And, and commercial baby foods all pureed up and mush at that stage too, isn't it? Yeah, and it has so many implications for the baby's relationship with food. As you said, my PhD research was doing some videos and looking at the difference for the baby between being spoon-fed and, and feeding themselves. And when they fed themselves, it was all about engagement with the food. It was the food they were looking at um, and, 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 and their hands were in there, as you say. And yeah, it's a, a bit of mess. Um, yeah, but that they were totally engaged with what they were doing. When they were being spoon-fed, they were either smiling at their mom or 
quite often actually looking warily at her and, and reaching for the spoon to, I don't know if they were pushing it away or just wanting to hold it out a little bit and have a look at what was on it at least. Um, but we, we want kids to trust food and to, to be happy to eat. And yet we put orange mush in their mouth one day that tastes of mango and the next day it tastes of carrot and the next day it tastes of peach or squash or, you know, and, and they're supposed to trust food uh, and, and open their mouth willingly without knowing what they're getting. Um, but with baby led weaning from the very beginning, they learn to link what food looks like with what it's going to taste like. And also just as importantly with the texture and how it's going to behave in their mouth, which makes eating safer, in fact, as well as a lot more enjoyable. Mm. And are there any particular signs you'd look for that a baby's ready to do this? I mean, I kind of think when they start to grab off your plate, it's almost, I mean, they'll watch you put, you know, one of my daughters was about 11 months before she actually really ate anything. And she was, um, you know, she put a red block in her mouth. She put a toy in her mouth, um, you know, perhaps suck on a ball or something, but she wasn't. And the food she'd just play with. If we were having dinner, yeah. she'd watch us eat, but she just wasn't really. In, and she was breastfed, so it didn't really matter. She was getting her food sure, anyway, but sure. she was quite slow at actually being ready, I guess. But what are some of the signs that you would say that, you know, kids are safe and ready to go? Well, the short answer is that they're sitting up, able to hold their trunk and their head steady. They can reach out without slumping over or whatever, grab stuff and bring it to their mouth. And that's it. But there's a much kind of longer answer to that, which is what I was suggesting uh, a, 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 little, a little bit earlier, that we don't look for signs of readiness for the other developmental milestones in children. We don't say, oh, I wonder, you know, how will I know when my baby's ready to crawl? You only need to look mm. for signs of readiness if you're going to do something to that baby. You need to be sure they're ready before you put that spoon in their mouth, for example. But if they're doing it to themselves, all you need to do is provide the opportunity and they'll show you just by doing it. Like you say, grabbing the food off your plate, but your plate has to be within reach for that to happen. If you mm. never let them anywhere near food or, you know, you actively even prevent them from touching food, then how are they going to show you when they're ready? They show you when they're ready to walk by uh, walking, you know, and they show you yeah, when they're ready to yeah. eat by eating. The other part of my long answer is ready for what exactly? You know, ready to swallow food is one thing. And, and one of the signs of readiness parents are often taught to look for is that their baby can swallow food rather than spit it out again. Well, that really bugs me because you have to test for that, right? You have to put something in their mouth to find out if that's true. So you've already mm. made a decision to kind of do something. You don't have to, but if you backtrack a bit and take it back to the baby like you've described they often start just by playing just by handling the food looking at it they may bring it to their mouth just to lick it or sniff it they may take a bite off and chew it even and then it falls out because they're not yet ready to swallow that tells us they don't they aren't ready to eat the food but why should that define whether they're allowed to engage with it and and experience it and start learning about it that can come way before that they're ready to eat it and it should do developmentally and in terms of like biological survival you would want to check something out and be totally sure of it before you ever put it inside your body you know so that bit should come first and what we've done by just focusing on nutrition uh, and when we need to start getting food into babies is we've bypassed that whole bit that is the baby's driver which is curiosity and we focused on the hunger thing or the nutritional need thing and and we've left out that bit and we've done it all the wrong way around if babies direct the process they start from a totally different place 
that makes so much sense doesn't it just makes <laughs> so much sense yeah yeah um and what about once they've already started you know started exploring and started eating and they're eating quite a bit but um some parents will still do a bit of spoon feeding as well I mean maybe they're at grandma's and she's got porridge for breakfast and she's got a mm-hmm. nice tablecloth on or something like that <laughs> is there is there okay to do a bit of a mix or would they give the baby a spoon as well I don't know I know my, I'm watching my daughter this time with this baby is you know she's only got one but she had him in Dubai and she'd send us little videos of her um, of the baby and you know now she's back in Australia but it was so fascinating to watch these little videos of him with his own spoon at a really young age. And then he used a yeah. fork at a really young age. You know, he's less than a year old using this fork and catching food and putting it in his mouth. I mean, he was still using hands as well, but it just seemed to make sense. She just handed him a spoon. She didn't have a spoon herself. So yeah. what do you say about parents who do a bit of a mix? So... Once again, you've asked me an um, amazingly good question, but with loads of different bits to it. So oh, one sorry. thing is that's okay. That's okay. It's sparking up sort of ideas for me. So one thing is that, yes, your babies can use a preloaded spoon, one that's handed to them ready loaded, often from around six months. Um, and but, but we have to, again, track back. Why are we so interested in giving them a spoon? Hmm. Because we're using pureed food. Why are we using pureed food? Because they can't chew. And also because actually that's the easiest texture to give on a spoon. So it's kind of all, you know, circular thinking. I was sort of thinking more of things like perhaps yogurt or porridge rather than actually pureed food. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. But, but we, we still, there's still a kind of mindset that we have to start with those foods for babies. Actually, there's no reason why they have to be first foods. We can introduce them later as the baby's skills with spoons develop. But we can go with a, a preloaded spoon. But that brings me back to the start of your question, which was about mess. Well, you're going to get mess if you're giving a sloppy food like that to a baby. So sure, there will be times when you're at grandma's or whatever, uh, or somewhere else where a mess is just not going to be okay. And you opt to spoon feed. And if you do that responsively and really watch the baby's cues that's absolutely fine I I don't have a problem with parents feeding their baby in the best way that works for them whether that's sort of a combination of methods or what but I do have an issue with what we call it if we are going to have research and and it's beginning it's coming along nicely now into baby-led weaning and whether maybe that has um kind of an, an impact on obesity risk or uh, oral health or you know any sort of long longer term thing picky eating we already know there's it, it reduces that but for that sort of research to happen you have to be able to define what baby, baby led weaning is and if people are doing lots of different types of things and calling it baby led weaning then the the data that you get is pretty much useless and that's a problem already with some of the research we have is that the edges are blurred and you can't really tell what's baby led weaning and what isn't. Um, it's one of the reasons why I like to encourage folk to come back to the original books that I wrote with Tracy Merkitt, or the, the first one, which was actually updated in 2019, to get a sense of what baby led weaning actually is. Um, because you get a sort of uh, distorted effect where one person adapts it a bit for themselves, but then they tell their friend they're doing baby led weaning and their friend watches and says, okay, so I'm going to tweak it a bit more. And you get further and further away from what it actually is. And then somebody tries it and says, well, I did it, my friend did it, and they copy what their friend did and it doesn't kind of work for them. So they say, oh, baby led weaning doesn't work, when actually what they were doing wasn't baby led weaning. 
Do you get what I mean? I do. Other, and I, that research then comes into things like breastfeeding too. What, what's absolutely, the definition? Absolutely. You know, people aren't necessarily yeah. exclusively breastfeeding. They're breastfeeding, but the, yeah. the definition is very yeah, wide absolutely. sometimes. The, the other part of that is that um, we... Well, uh, before we before baby led weaning was a thing and before the six months starting place kind of came in what we had was you started with your baby on purees usually around about four months or soon after and then at around about six months you were generally encouraged to start introducing finger foods because actually hey do you know what at six months the baby can hold food great so you start giving them some things to hold if you take a snapshot of what uh, that conventional approach looks like at six months, you've got a mixture of purees and finger foods. That is, a, a, and nobody has really uh, explained what conventional weaning should look like if you start at six months. Presumably it should be a mixture of both. Do, do you see what I'm getting at? Mm. Baby led weaning says you don't have the purees. So a snapshot of baby led weaning at six months is only finger foods. So if you're doing a mixture at six months, that's fine by me, but please don't call it baby led weaning because it's not. It's actually what okay. conventionally looks like. And the other thing is um, that baby led weaning is not just a method. It's not just about whether the baby feeds himself, whether you use a spoon or not, whether you offer purees or, or sloppy foods or not. It's about that whole approach of trusting the baby and having him involved in meal times and stuff. And what a lot of people do who do a little bit of what they call a bit of both is that they're happy for the baby to play with the food and do his thing. But when he doesn't seem to have eaten much, then they'll put some spoonfuls of food into him just to make sure. And, and, and okay, that I, I get that. I'm not criticizing that. But actually, that isn't baby led weaning because it's not trusting your baby to know what he needs. And what you can't do is trust him some days and not other days or trust him at some meals and not other meals. If you're taking a baby led approach, then you're doing more than just choosing the method by which you're going to feed or the baby's going to feed himself. So that's another reason why that combination thing is, is fine if people want to do it, but please don't call it baby led weaning because it's not actually quite the same thing. Does that make sense? Yeah, it makes perfect sense. Yeah. Yeah, it does. And in that context of trusting the baby, you know, we trust them, like you say, to walk, to crawl. We trust them. I mean, I've breastfed my kids for years, so trusted them to actually fully wean themselves when they mm. were ready. And, and it, you know, I, I've noticed you've got another book out called Baby Led Parenting, which to me sounds, I haven't read it, and it sounds really interesting because, again, that's trusting that that child can, yeah, you know, it goes taking... further, like the baby led weaning as far as food goes is part of a bigger picture, isn't it? Absolutely, absolutely, yeah. Um, and that's why uh, the other uh, that book was written a few years ago now. Um, since then, the other um, kind of phrase that we've had is responsive parenting and responsive feeding. And uh, a lot of I have some some sort of issues with with that phraseology as well. Responsive parenting, absolutely, and baby led weaning fits beautifully within that, or, or baby led parenting, if you want to call it that. But responsive feeding just makes me stop a minute because it's feeding. Who's doing the feeding? You know, mm. if, if mm. we talk about an animal feeding, we don't talk. I mean, we might feed the animal, sure. But, you know, if, if the cows are in the, the fields feeding, they're feeding themselves. Whereas when we talk about feeding a baby, we assume we're doing it to them. 
Um, actually, feeding a baby should be like feeding my, my husband. In other words, I put the food in front of him. I don't actually take charge of him getting it into his mouth. So what, how do I need to be responsive in that sense? I don't, except if he's cleared his plate, I can offer him more, you know, or I can allow him to leave a bit and not say, come on, finish that up, you know. That's, so that's, that's the visual be, I just got, that, you know, he hasn't eaten at all, so you get the spoon and you... Exactly. But, <laughs> So when we're talking about being response, doing responsive feeding, if we're not doing the feeding, then the responsive bit takes care of itself. It's not necessary. So if you like, baby led weaning is not even just the ultimate in responsive feeding. It, it, it just says you don't even need to think about that. You're, you're just allowing your baby to feed himself. Responsive feeding is about, you know, checking does the baby want a mother mouthful or whatever. You're not micromanaging it when you're doing baby led weaning. You're just providing the opportunity. So so we don't even need to talk about responsive feeding if we're including baby led weaning as a general approach to parenting, a responsive approach to parenting. I know I have a bee in my bonnet about, about words. I mean, I love words as well. I like writing books, but actually words really matter. And, and mm. it, well, I suppose responsive feeding means like when you're, say, when you're breastfeeding or formula feeding, you're responding to the baby's hunger cues. Sure, so sure. But when it's in with responsive feeding in my absolutely, head. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. But even with breastfeeding, uh, you're you're kind of allowing the baby to feed, but he's doing the feeding, right? Absolutely. Um, yes. Yeah. So it's and your response and, and you try making a baby breastfeed who doesn't want to, you know, you can't. No show. <laughs> um, absolutely. So it, it, responsive is kind of it just built into that anyway in the same mm. way it's built into baby led weaning so you don't have to talk about feeding your baby responsively if you're breastfeeding other than responding when he's asking i mean yes. in, obviously if you the analogy with baby led weaning would be those cultures where they carry their baby next to the breast all day you know the baby's strapped mm. to them and he can help himself so yeah. the mother doesn't have to do anything to be responsive so i'm saying the baby she's just mm. her whole demeanor is responding to his potential need and then he takes care of it so it's a little bit the same with baby led weaning um and the reason we have to talk about responsive feeding in in the kind of the, the developed cultures is because we actually have already stopped babies doing it for themselves yeah 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 no that Amazing. makes complete sense because yes yeah. you know you sort of think of a mother with several children and she just has that baby in a carrier in her arms or something and you don't even think but even mothers with first times I know I've you know as a lactation consultant I've visited mums who've been really worried that they've mm. been told they need to learn their baby's um signals or cues and I say to that mother you know I probably sat with her for 20 minutes or so I said but you just automatically moved your baby in another position when he got squirmy you're totally yeah. aware even though it's not an intellectual yeah. thing yes yes you, we've had to teach parents how to do parenting with their head because we've we've made mm. our structures and our societies such that they, they they've lost that ability to just respond that well except they haven't they have got it but they don't believe it they don't know it yeah to just respond to their baby without even thinking about it mm. so they know, do to, it to but ask, they don't even know they're doing it because somebody else it. has got into their head that's and said me. you need to do it this way and you need to intellectually yes. know and you know a mum will say to me oh, I don't even know what kind of cry it is you know but the mums at mum's group will be saying oh that's an angry cry that's a something cry if you don't need yeah. to because you will settle your baby whatever way works for your baby you don't even need to think what kind of cry it no. is no no absolutely yeah yeah we've lost yeah. touch with all that instinctive stuff mm. yeah so 
like you say, when the babies don't eat enough in inverted commas that, you know, parents say, so they grab the spoon and pop a little bit more in. What, when should they worry that their baby's eating enough or not enough? I mean, there is this saying food's fun until they're one. Um, I don't know. What do you think of that? What's the answer uh, there? Yeah, I don't, I mean, I understand where that phrase is coming from, food until one is just for fun or whatever, but it's not, it, it wasn't my phrase and I, I don't no. quite go along with it because it's it's not quite true. They do begin to need some other micronutrients from around six months, but it seems that, and, and this would be a lovely piece of, of research for somebody to do, it, we have some evidence from old research that babies do kind of know what their needs are. And so, you know, if, if we've, if they're able to to know what they need right from birth and they, you know, given an access to the breast, they can help themselves to food um, and they know when to stop and so on. Why should that suddenly change at six months? What they need to have is to have access to those extra nutrients that they might need. And I am firmly of the belief that if they they don't choose to to take that up, that's probably their way of saying, no, thanks. I'm fine just now. And. What we know is that one of the early uh, nutrients they're likely to be running out of from around six months is iron. And that's the one that, that you hear a lot talked about. But what we also know is that our practices of early cord clamping at birth were depriving babies of a huge chunk of iron stores. Now that that is changing and more and more births happen with uh, the cord being allowed to pul finish pulsating before it's clamped and cut, babies are getting that slug of iron that they need. So they're starting off their life with a much better iron stores. And so there's every chance that a lot of them can go easily way beyond six months without really needing uh, anything else. The other thing is that uh, one of the unfortunate things with our, uh, for years, starting solids earlier than babies really needed at four months or, or in history, three months, two weeks, whatever, we mm. always tended to start with, with either very bland things like porridge or um, uh, oatmeal of some sort, um, or with fruit and vegetables. And then later they would start having, let's say meat and eggs and so on. So classically you would start at, in, in the fairly recent past, you would start at four months with fruit and vegetables and then from around um, maybe rice and from around six months, you would introduce meat and, and, um, and a, more, a wider variety of vegetables and, and fish and eggs and things which really do contain iron. The problem with the shift to six months is that the message hasn't been made clear that at this point you don't need to start so cautiously. You don't need to do one, one food for like three days before you risk going on to something else. You don't need, need to um, in, start with one meal a day and then gradually progress to three. If you start like that at six months, it's going to be a very long time before your baby's really uh, discovered a lot of foods. Those were rules that applied not to the beginning of solid feeding per se, but to the beginning of solid feeding when a baby was actually, we now know, too immature to be doing it. So you had to be really careful. If you apply that same caution at six months, what you've got is babies starting solids at six months with one spoonful a day of, of a fruit or vegetable or whatever and not getting access to meat until they're eight, nine months. And that's what, probably way too late for a lot of them. So with baby led weaning, we can introduce 
uh, or with with even when we're doing purees, we need to focus on introducing a nice range of foods, including those iron rich foods right at six months. So the baby can tell us what he needs. And incidentally, with baby led weaning, because babies are picking up different foods and testing them out and so on, they can show us much more clearly which foods they want. And we have to assume which foods they therefore are needing than they can if they're given a kind of a mushed up mixture or restricted to certain foods according to what the parents have chosen for them um, or they're given like a mixed up chicken casserole you know who knows if they really needed that balance of nutrients in that particular meal because what they don't need at six months is lots of uh, calories and protein and carbohydrates they can get all of that from their milk so if we're giving them solid foods that bulk all that up and still only very small amounts of micronutrients, we're not doing them really any favours. We should be letting them carry on getting the, the vast majority of their nutrition from their milk, be it breast milk or formula, and just having a few mouthfuls of whatever it is extra that they seem to need. And there's an awful lot of parents who've told me that their, their baby's first real interest has been in meat, in fact, as their oh. first food. Yeah, chop bone. You know, they can yeah, just yeah. do it. And which even if they can't, actually chew the meat they're getting the juices out of it that yeah. basically the blood which is where the iron is so that they are accessing what they seem to need have you heard about bebop's body it's the latest natural baby and skin care for babies and growing families including washes and lotions and a nappy barrier cream and an innovative pump and swipe jar for easy hygienic access. Infused with quality Australian botanicals and essential oils to help calm and care for little bodies, cruelty-free, vegan-friendly and proudly Australian-made. Bebop's body is suitable for all skin types, even the most delicate and sensitive. Cause the happy chaos of family life and indulge in daily self-care rituals with your family and Bebop's body. It's available exclusively at Chemist Warehouse in-store and online and at beboxforkids.com. And here's an exclusive offer for our listeners. Take 25% off your first purchase from the Bebop's body collection online at www.beboxbody.com using code Pinky 25. Check the show notes and you'll find that there if you didn't quite catch this. So that's at bboxbody.com using the code Pinky25 for a 25% discount off your first purchase from Bbox Body. That makes so much sense. Yeah, because I remember back in the old days, it was people were expected. What was it? Pumpkin, spinach and something else that was all mixed up together in this horrible greenish spotty looking muck. <laughs> and I remember thinking, yeah. Ooh, yuck. I wouldn't need it. So I didn't give it to my kids. But I remember it was quite the, you know, there was farrax or baby rice or something. And then there was all these things. Yeah. They just go, there's no point really. Yeah. And if the baby does, it, it gets offered a, a mixed up meal like that and doesn't like one of the ingredients, one of the flavors, then they're going to refuse the whole lot because it's all like one flavor. 
Whereas mm. if they're allowed to have that little um, a taste of lots of different things on their plate, you know, a variety to be offered, even at the very first opportunity, who knows which one they'll want. It's like you don't just restrict your baby to one toy for a week and then introduce another toy. <laughs> you offer them a, a selection, let them have a go with each one, see which one they fancy. Um, and you, you don't overwhelm them with too much choice. Absolutely. Mm. But it's the same with, with food. We can put two or three little bits of food on their plate with, with you know, a couple of vegetables and a piece of meat say depending on what the family are eating it needs to really look the same as what everyone else is eating so that they feel confident to have a go and then just just let them experiment and that, their their taste buds and their instinct will probably lead them to the things that they need that's brilliant and different babies from different cultures will be eating different things like some baby might mm. suck on a curry and it's fine it's had those tastes through its mother's breast milk anyway so it's quite surprising mm. isn't it the palate that a baby Absolutely. can have yeah 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 i remember it just you've just sparked a memory i remember years ago being told by a friend of mine who was still feeding her child until he was five or possibly beyond um and one of his favorite foods was pineapple in those days and um he he's uh was he asked to have a quick breastfeed and she let him feed and then he he pulled away and said you had pineapple you didn't tell me because <laughs> he tasted it through her milk <laughs> so yeah amazing fascinating yeah when they're big enough to tell you yeah because you know the research says the breast milk takes the flavors that the parents are the mum eats through the milk to the baby so they should be less fussy eaters so yeah but if for a kid old enough to tell you you've had pineapple (laughs) (laughs) no secrets yeah yeah so would they offer the milk uh, you know I have parents quite confused about do you offer the milk feed first do you offer what do you do you know and I I kind of think well you're just doing what the baby wants anyway if it's got access to milk and if it's got access to food when you sit up at the table but what's the what's the go with this I think uh, we should, if you can get into, uh, if we can get into our heads that this is about play and exploration from the baby's point of view, it's not about food. The things he's going to pick up and taste. Um, sure, they get, he's going to find they've got a taste, which most of his toys don't and so on. It's going to be an exciting experience, but he's not going to relate that to a full belly. Yeah, that for him, that's his milk. That's all he's known up till then. So if we wouldn't offer him a new toy to play with when he's feeling cranky and hungry or tired, then we wouldn't bring him up to the table if he's feeling that way. So we need him not to be hungry. That doesn't mean it's not a question of do I give the milk first or the solids first, because mm. you're not giving the solids, number one, you're offering. But if, they, if we can keep them as separate activities, so the milk feeds just carry on in the background on demand. And if normally the mum would feed the baby just before she sits down to eat herself, that's great. You can do that. But, it, you know, you probably she's busy preparing that meal. So actually she probably isn't feeding right at that point. But so long as the baby doesn't come to the, the table really hungry then he's going to probably want to engage with the food so um but if he starts getting cranky during the meal and he's clearly had enough and and now he wants some food please well then he wants a milk feed so you have to kind of play it by ear but i think the 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 key is to not think of it as food to just have Mm. to say well his his meals are his breast feeds or formula feeds and we're going to invite him to share our meals as well 
in between those times. And gradually, as the baby starts to eat more at those meals, he'll forget to ask for the next breast or, or formula feed, or he'll take slightly less at that feed or whatever. He'll sort it out. Um, so it's it's more a question of his mood and, and, and how alert and ready he is to engage in a new experience, rather than whether he's actually got a full belly or not a full belly. That makes yeah? it so simple. So simple, isn't but, it? Really, yeah. when you think about it, it really is so simple. But I guess, you know, everyone's trying to do the right thing and there's so much noise out there. Oh, yeah. yeah. That yeah. those um, just seem to be the questions that mums tend to ask and are there you know absolutely any foods that are best you've already mentioned the idea of meat um fruit and vegetables meat, whatever the variety um is important and and there should be real foods so we we wouldn't be offering kind of adult breakfast cereals or or chocolate bars or whatever but (laughs) fruit vegetables meat eggs fish those sort of things um it's more important that they're in the right shape for the baby to manage so um in the when you have a baby of six months they can sometimes wrap their hand around something but what they can't do is open their hand to get that in their mouth so they need something that sticks out of their 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 uh, fist like like kind of you know a bit like an adult's finger that sort of shape uh-huh. so they can like a piece it. of toast or a whole yeah soft or a, piece of if you have to think of uh some things seem to have a natural handle like a, a florida broccoli if you cut it cut it with yeah. a long enough stalk then they can hold that um so it's more about the shape and also the texture it needs to be kind of squishable between the adult's fingers so it it, it it doesn't need to be rock hard I mean it's better if it's not rock hard and it doesn't it shouldn't snap easily so slivers of, of apple are not ideal at first because they're liable to snap but you can soften the apple for a couple of seconds in the microwave for example or simply give them a whole big chunk of apple that isn't going to snap that they can gnaw on or even a whole apple with the, with the core partially removed anyway sometimes leaving some of the skin on helps to give them a better grip think of a kiwi for example they could manage a whole kiwi much better if, if only half of the skin was removed you know mm-hmm. um same with a banana you can do what what um um i've i've heard called a circumcised banana <laughs> sorry you may not yes. know if that's a <laughs> podcast but um and you know, i see my daughter with the avocado you know the skin's on but the top half's yes. peeled and, and he'll be holding that and Absolutely. munching yeah it just helps helps with their grip but the main thing is whereas in the past the progression from purees through to bigger foods was to go purees and then very finely chopped and then bigger pieces and gradually bigger it's the other way around we start big and then as the baby develops a finer movements with their hands and can pick up let's say a little pea or a a grain of rice well you know at that point you go smaller and again parents ask well how will I know when to make the food smaller well I tend to say, observe what 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 happened. A, you don't have to make a decision. You can just try your baby out. You know, if you put, I would tend to squish the rounder foods like blueberries, say. But if you put a squished blueberry on their tray and they can pick it up and get it to their mouth, well, then they're ready to do it, aren't they? But what you'll find is that six months they can't. Even if they can pick it up, they can't get it into their mouth. So um, they will show the way. So you can you can just test it out a bit or you can simply watch what happens when your baby bites into something and some smaller bits drop down. What happens to those bits? If he's not able to grab them, then obviously he's not ready for smaller bits yet. Um, But you can offer a mixture at each meal and babies can learn to, for example, dunk their finger foods into, let's say, some hummus or some yogurt um, and 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 get a a, a mixture of flavors that way and, and experience some different textures. Um, so we don't have to restrict them. 
but again, this all goes back to the past when it was very structured. You started with smooth purees, then the more lumpy ones and so on and so on. And so parents had to make these decisions or oh, this is the day we're going to move to this, where actually the baby takes care of all of that because it's his development that, that steers everything. Yes, or it wasn't about development. It was sort of, you know, you have purees to an X number of months and then you have lumps to the next month and then you mm. have you know fewer you have mash or something and then you go for lumpy food but it was all the ages and if you look at commercial baby food you know it's all got labels on it you know four to six months or eight to nine months or something something like yes. that still on yes. those containers yes. of yes. food and you go okay it's a bit and weird another, another interesting thing um you mentioned some of my books actually the latest book that i wrote is with a, a a new colleague from Chicago. She's a speech language language pathologist, Jill Rabin, and we've written a book based on her work, ex, ex, taking baby led weaning and adapting it for babies who have feeding challenges, who maybe have developmental uh, delay or anatomical issues. Um, her, a lot of her work has been, for example, with babies with Down syndrome, and she has shown how you can adapt baby led weaning for them. And I learned an awful lot about chewing and swallowing from working on this book with which I, incidentally I suppose I should mention the name it's called your baby can self-feed too um, and it's just been published uh, by the experiment in um, the USA back in, in this summer oh, no sorry about September it came out uh, I'm not sure it hasn't actually reached the UK yet sadly but um, working with Jill I learned a lot about about her uh, body of knowledge about how babies chew and swallow and stuff like that um, as well as their general development and one of the things that has become clearer to me but which I kind of knew from before anyway is that one of the most difficult textures for babies to manage orally is where there's a mixture of let's say pureed stuff and lumps and yet as you've pointed out those were like the second stage dinners you had your mm. purees and then you had purees with lumps in. And one of the things that I found way back that was happening around about seven or eight months was when parents were transitioning to these new foods, suddenly the babies couldn't manage them and they were coughing and spluttering because they'd been taught with the purees to just have it in your mouth, swallow it in and swallow in and swallow. There was no chewing involved. So they didn't know that they had to actually start doing some chewing. Whereas, in fact, babies are beginning to make chewing movements from around six months. And then their natural um, kind of propensity seems to be to put food into their mouth, to bite a piece off, to chew it in the front of their mouth before they even attempt to swallow it. And as I said, some of them just it falls out because they're not ready to swallow it yet. So, again, we've been doing it all the wrong way around and actually giving uh, babies purees with lumps in is the most challenging thing we could possibly do. It, it's well, not when you think of it yourself yeah you know, if, absolutely if you're, you're either eating soup or you're eating food you're not kind of doing yeah. a mixture yeah. of both no you don't and, have a lumpy and, soup no, well no and exactly and if you do have like minestrone you don't treat it the same way you would your smooth tomato soup you know you no. have a different way of approaching it um, and if you don't, if you try and just suck it in, you're going to be, be in problems. So yeah. uh, we've kind of always known that. And yet we've, we didn't apply it to, to babies and, mm. and to the way we progressed with them. It's really strange. Mm. And I mean, babies with Down syndrome, for instance, have quite low muscle tone generally. So, yeah. you yeah. know, and, and they're okay with baby led weaning. 
Well, yeah, it needs to be adapted slightly because they're often they're, they're not coming to it. They're not quite ready yet. But, but, but Jill has found sort of ways of using gadgets like, like um, silicon feeders and things to, so that the baby can feed themselves right from the beginning without needing to be spoon fed. So they're what she calls bridge devices, which will take the baby across the, the, that bit where they're, they're, they're six months, but they're not actually quite ready to feed themselves yet. They can do it in different ways. They can have their arms supported to bring it to their mouth. But there's, the, she never needs to actually uh, suggest to parents that they do the feeding to the baby. The baby's in, in charge of what's going on. And what I was also amazed and fascinated to learn is that just the simple fact of sitting upright and leaning forward to pick up food and putting your head down this builds muscles in the trunk and the neck and so on that these babies that that whole muscle tone thing that, that if those babies have weak muscles in those areas it actually helps to build that tone instead of us saying oh well they're too weak to do that we'll just feed them um, and that in fact mm -hmm. a lot of babies with various disabilities or, or or challenging issues have for too long just had a focus on what they can't do and it's oh okay we'll have to do this and this and this to this baby instead of well let's start from what they can do or what they might be able to do if we actually help them and encourage them and you know gave them that bridge and she's just had some amazing results with with these babies and it's it's had results in in all these other areas and not just their their eating but in their general postures muscle strength their fine movements it's just been huge and their speech and language because they're oh god yes yeah 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 partly because of of the the muscles that they're using with chewing mm. they're encouraged to chew much earlier but also of being included in the social atmosphere of a family mealtime instead of being fed separately it's just got yeah. huge ramifications which come, brings me right back to the if we're going to understand what those impacts might be we have to be so careful about how we define it yeah yeah yeah, make, that makes all makes sense. And it all sounds so <laughs> logical that we've mucked yeah. around with everything, haven't we? From mm -hmm. the way babies are born to the way, you know, like you're saying with the cord clamping to the feeding and people grabbing the baby's head and shoving them onto the mother's breast right mm -hmm. through. There's been so much intervention. Mm -hmm. And yeah. back to, yeah. Are there any foods we should avoid? Obviously, probably a bit like the choking thing, just sensible and that seems to be yeah. a fear of people too, the safety stuff, I guess, and the foods. Um, yes. So in terms of actually what's in the food, like I say, the same rules apply in terms of, of salt and sugar levels and that sort of stuff. We would So we would I would encourage families to cook without salt and to add their own salt on their own plate, that sort of thing. doesn't mean the food can't be flavoursome. You can use herbs and spices mm. to make really flavourful you know really exciting food but um we know salt and sugar and honey and certain fishes and, and undercooked um eggs and, and this sort of thing we have to take the same precautions in terms of choking risk again it, it's it, it's about common sense and and hard round things or slices of hot dog you know anything that could is a sort of the same shape as the child's airway is is risky um but i i do find it interesting that um when I was saying that even when we were introducing solids from four months, we were suggesting finger foods from six months and there wasn't all this panic about, oh, he's going to choke. 
it's baby led weaning that has suddenly thrown this up and, and, and everybody's, you know, horrified. Oh, gosh, these babies are going to choke. But we were giving them those foods anyway. It's just they were already having purees and, and nobody really questioned it. We also, when we were giving purees to babies as young as, let's say, three, four months, often they were leaning back in a little recliner chair. Um, mm. Now the whole emphasis is on they must be sitting upright. But nobody mentioned that then because it didn't fit with what we were doing. So we just brushed that aside. We made up the rules according to what we decided we wanted to do and the age at which we wanted to do it based on some science. Sure. But although before that, it was really just kind of whim. And, and what we really should be doing now is reassessing all of that and saying, well, what do we know about babies of six months? Um, and we know that. If you're going to learn to eat safely, you need to practice those skills, those chewing skills, the skills of moving food around your mouth from one side to the other, which I now know is called tongue lateralization, for example. Um, uh -huh. We need to practice. And what do you practice on? You practice on food in a safe environment, sitting upright, um, knowing that you actually the ability to chew comes before the ability to move stuff back and swallow it. Yeah. Um, and and. So if we just turn the whole thing around and look at it differently, babies are actually really, really good at keeping themselves safe. And in fact, a lot of what we were doing with the second stage dinners with the lumps in and with introducing um, solid foods alongside purees. So one minute they're meant to swallow it and the next minute they're meant to chew it. That was all probably quite challenging for babies, but we didn't question it because it was the way we did it, it was custom and practice. Mm. And uh, in the beginning, people would often ask me, where's your evidence for that baby led weaning is OK and is safe and so on? And I initially it only took a few days, I think, or weeks. I was a bit rattled by that. And then I suddenly thought, hang on a minute. Where's your evidence for spoon feeding and purees? There is absolutely no evidence to support that for babies who can pick food up and chew it. None at all. And yet we've done it for so long yes it makes sense and it's the only logical option if you want to get food into a baby who can't do those things in other words a baby who shouldn't actually be having it anyway well yes you're going to have to do all those things but if we now understand what is the the appropriate age for starting and a baby has the skills to do it himself why would you want to interfere with that and so actually there's never been any proper research into the need for spoon feeding and purees it's just gone on for the last 100 years or so and as you pointed out it's now really gained momentum through the baby food market so nobody wants to question that because it's just it's just in there and it's it's part of our culture well, it's terribly it's continued, i guess especially now yeah. that there's those yeah. squeezy tubes for babies oh I my mean, gosh yeah you know they just suck it out of there do they or well i suppose you can you... i suppose you can squirt a little bit onto a spoon but that's what you're supposed to do. If you read the small print on the pouch, mm. it will say, yeah, you're supposed to squirt it onto a spoon. But I mean, I have enough issues with the fact that a, a, what's on the spoon may not be recognizable to the baby anyway, because mm. as I say, it could be peach one day and carrot the next. But if you don't get, even get to see it either, how, how is that t teaching the kid anything about, about eating? Uh, there's one pouch I picked up recently and it said it was fish cakes or something. I'm thinking, well, it doesn't, what? it's no, like no fish cake I have ever seen. You know, <laughs> what is there in the word cake that, that thinks that in a pouch it's okay? It's weird, really weird. Yeah, yeah. Made by men in white coats in factories. <laughs> <laughs> somehow who knows <laughs> i mean i'm all for convenience i'm all for for parents yes. you know an easy life for parents don't get me wrong but but uh, and of course what unfortunately is the case that a lot of parents nowadays actually don't do much cooking anyway even for themselves so 
it's it's about We've me learning those skills. Haven't we? <laughs> yeah, and we and we have takeaways. Yeah, no, I don't know what those are, but oh, it's, it's when you just get on your phone and you dial a restaurant and the food comes to your door. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And I got a ride in an Uber one morning, and I said to the driver, "You know, have you been? Is this your first run or something?" Because it was fairly early in the morning. He says, "Oh no, I've been doing delivering breakfast." And I said, "Who's making breakfast at this hour of the morning?" He said, "Oh, people are ordering McDonald's." And I'm going, "How hard is it to pop an egg in a pot while you have your shower or something?" It just yeah. I just was yeah. gobsmacked that you'd order McDonald's yeah. for breakfast. So, yeah, so we have lost that. So it, on the one hand, baby-led wending is easy because you're not cooking food separately for the baby, but you do need to be cooking it for yourself first. So that is a hurdle for, for a lot of parents today um, that, that I don't have an easy answer for because clearly, really, we shouldn't be giving the baby the Uber Eats and the, and the McDonald's and, and whatever else. No. No. Uh, no. I don't think many people probably are. No, but but no, then that means they do end up. But some will will still eat that themselves and feed the baby separately because you can buy a jar for the baby. So at mm. some point they're going to make that shift, surely, um, and that that becomes the sticking point. You know, sometimes people would say to me uh, in the early days, well, you know, there are a lot of families that don't eat well, so maybe they're better off giving their baby the the, the baby foods than than you know doing what i was apparently suggesting which was to let them have the mcdonald's and chips which wasn't what i was saying but anyway um and so um you know that, that there was that kind of argument and, and i would turn that back to people and say so okay i get what you're saying but at what age is it okay for the baby to join the family for the mcdonald's and, and chips at the table you know that are you saying that's okay at like age two or age four or age eight, you know, when are you going to say that that's, that isn't an okay diet for a child, period. At some point, we need to be helping families to make that shift to having more nutritious food. Um, and ideally, they will cook it for the whole family and not just for the child or baby. But you can't just say, oh, well, let, let's not go there because they can use baby food. That's not going to go on forever. At some point, they, they're going to be, mm. the child's going to be sharing the family diet. So we still have to address that. It's, it's not yeah. enough to just say, oh, they can't do baby-led weaning. That, that's a cop-out. And parents aren't going to be eating McDonald's all the time anyway. Surely people cook sometimes. I, I don't know. I, would expect, yeah, I, I just I found it the easiest thing to pop a banana in my handbag and, you know, if the kid was hungry when they, or, you know, or they decided they wanted something to eat or they, you know, instead of buying them an ice cream or chips, just give them a banana. Yeah. yeah. It wasn't yeah, that hard. Yeah. No. No, it just requires a bit of planning ahead, I guess. And I, I don't know if I think just some of these basic things have been lost, unfortunately. Um, and maybe it's golly, there's a whole other discussion there, isn't it? Is, is it? is it worse when both parents work? Is that actually inviting that kind of having to rely on fast food things? You know, I don't want to go there with the should we all be stay at home mums? But, you know, you, you just it's the world has changed. I'll leave it at that. It has changed, but I think if parents are working during the day, the child will be in childcare and they'll be fed a nutritious lunch most of the time anyway. They'll Which is actually another them. interesting thing. It's parents ask me, what do I do if when my baby goes to, to daycare, the, uh, the, the people there don't want to do baby led weaning? And that's another interesting question. And so some babies oh. have to adapt to having kind of a, 
being able to do it themselves at home, but not at nursery. Having said that, I know in the UK, there are a number of nurseries that have really embraced baby led weaning. And they say it's great, uh, not least because one, one uh, carer can supervise, let's say, five babies feeding themselves. Whereas if you're going to feed them, you've got to do it pretty much one on one. So in terms oh. of just their time, never mind anything else, it's great. Um, oh. But I do remember a, a, another funny story back in the beginning before that was the case before it was really heard about where a mum had uh, done baby led winning with her baby who was now 18 months and she went to nursery for the first time and she'd been there a couple of days I think and the, and the nursery staff member said took her to one side when she came to pick up her child and she said I really need to talk with you about your daughter we're a little bit concerned about her development said, what why she said well what we do is we do messy play with things like spaghetti um, and 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 she didn't want to join in she just stood at the back and looked and so we're a bit concerned and the mother said why is she she's been feeding herself since she was six months old she knows what you do with spaghetti and you don't sit there you know playing with it with your hands she's been there done that got the t-shirt no wonder she looks confused it's like what what, what the are you doing <laughs> um you know yeah and, and I and I think at that same nursery I don't know I asked the mum she didn't actually get back to me but I said I, I wouldn't mind betting they let the babies do the messy play the children then they clean them up and spoon feed them their dinner I mean how mad would that be mm. just crazy mm. we really yeah. have got it around the wrong way so we have got things kids up haven't we <laughs> we have we have exactly that yes yeah so where can people find out more about you and your books um well i have a website website rapleyweaning.com um it's not a great website um but it is it will take you to it's got lots of links in it though yeah Yes, yes, absolutely. Mm. So it'll, it'll take you to other places you need to go. But um, you can just um, search me on, on, on book websites and, and uh, when you've got the titles, ask for them in your local bookshop. And the links will be in the show notes anyway here, you know, beneath. Yeah. And I am news. on Twitter. Right. Uh, so follow me on Twitter. Okay. And now let's get personal. I ask everybody, you know, that we all have bad or silly or funny moments that don't make us bad mothers. Can you share a tits up moment from your own experience? Well, the one that springs to mind, um, I, I had three, um, three children under three and a half years. And so there was one day I remember vividly, probably when the oldest one was just about four and the youngest one, I don't know, coming up to a year or something. Um, and we just had one of those mornings where nothing got done um, and they were all still in their pajamas at two o'clock in the afternoon. I can't remember if I was dressed. Normally I wouldn't be if they weren't, but I think maybe I was on that occasion. But anyway, and I'm just tearing my hair out thinking I am never going to catch up today. What, what an, it, this, this is just bonkers. And then suddenly I had a, a kind of flash of inspiration. I ran a bath, put all three children in it, washed them put on clean pyjamas, and then we were ahead. We were ahead of ourselves for that evening. We were all ready for bed, and we could relax about everything else, just have some supper later and do some playing, and we didn't have to bother. So that was a kind of a real milestone for me. It just taught me that it was all in my head, whether we were running behind or running ahead. It, it actually didn't make any difference to the children and their experience of the day. The only thing that was perhaps a little bit puzzling was to have a bath in the middle of the day. But um, it was... It was <laughs> but just, you were ahead. Like... <laughs> 
just like a huge release. It's suddenly, right, instead of having this awful feeling that I'm behind and panicking and anxious all morning, suddenly it was like it just everything was lifted and it was a huge relief. Yeah, yeah. your head. What a great, yeah. yeah. And we had a great day after that, great day. Yeah, yeah, but it's, it is in our heads, you know, like, isn't it, that we, yeah. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, we didn't have to be anywhere that day. Well, where's that matter. rule that says you have to be dressed by a certain time? And where's that rule that says you can't spend all day in your pajamas? I mean, we've all done it during lockdown, so you know, clearly it's not a very <laughs> I rigid used to law. teach baby massage, and I used to, you know, be a three or four week obsessions, and I'd give the mums homework. And one of the weeks I would give them their homework would be to take a pajama day. You know, whether you stay in your pajamas all day or your children stay in your pajamas a lot of the day, the idea was to be at home and be chilled and just you know stay calm and it's generally a good day for the baby because they're not overstimulated mum's not rushed she's the pressure's off and one mum burst into tears and said before I had my baby I promised myself I would be dressed by eight o'clock every morning with my makeup on and I just said how's that working and she just cried and cried and cried because it wasn't working Mm. so she had her permission Mm. to you know, we unpacked all that and people were starting to be very honest about how some days they did have a pyjama day. And whether you stayed in your pyjamas yeah. or you got into a tracksuit, it didn't really matter. I mean, there was no stipulation that you had to be in your pyjamas all day. No. It was just yeah, 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 yeah. a yeah. chill-out day. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Where, you, where you had nothing on your agenda, that you had to go somewhere mm. or be somewhere or watch mm. the time. Mm. But I like that. You're ahead. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and what's your best tip for listeners on how to be the mother you want to be? Um, well, it, it'll be something I didn't manage to do, but I, <laughs> I wish somebody had said it to me. I, it's it's come home to me more and more that what p- children remember from their childhood is not always the things that you think they're going to. So if I could go back again, I would try and make sure every single day had a good memory in it and then reinforce that memory before bedtime. It could have just been going and picking some daisies or something, you know, but just something re- that where you were really in the moment and I mean, ideally, we could do that all the time, but, you know, life tends to get in the way. But if you could just capture at least one moment every day uh, where for a few minutes or a couple of hours or whatever it was, you were you were totally focused and it was a really good memory. And then before bedtime, talk about that moment and how lovely it was. And that would be great. Oh, I love that. I don't think we've had anybody give that as a tip. I just think that's beautiful. Well, uh, it, it what, uh, yeah it, to be fair you had said you were going to ask me that and so I had been thinking yeah. about it and then I, I just uh, I thought the best way to do it was to think about something that I wish I had done so yeah, yeah. but I'm sure you kids <laughs> had plenty of happy memories anyway I having their so. pajamas on in the afternoon and chilling out at home <laughs> is pretty good <laughs> mom's focus we're all in the bath together having fun <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, that's fabulous. So thank you, Jill, for sharing this wealth of information. And people can go to your website, look in the show notes, people, follow Jill on Twitter. Um, yeah. And so thank you so much because I think there's been, you know, great information shared today. Well, thank you so much for having me and for being so skilled at, at drawing out some of my kind of passion for for. Well, oh, your passion just comes over. I don't have to do anything. <laughs> <laughs> well yes. I think you do it's it's, so, it's it's good to be interviewed by somebody who has such a lovely sense of humor and yeah oh, good. 
So thank you. And that's Kinky signing off. Tits up, ladies. Pull up your big girl pants. We can do this. We are mothers. In the spirit of reconciliation, I acknowledge Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples as the traditional owners and custodians of this country and their connection to land, water and community. We pay our respect to them, their cultures and customs and to elders past, present and emerging. Thank you for listening to this episode of Tits Up. This podcast was produced by Dave Stokes. For more information, connections with our guests and special offers from our show sponsors, please pop over to my website and check out the show notes, www.pinkymccabe.com. I would love it if you could please share the love by leaving a review. Five-star reviews will help other mums to find the support and information too.